0: Welcome, caller. You're on the line with the calls are coming from inside the podcast, an exploration of the human side of horror. Each week, we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them. Together, we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what. Feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow, and this week you are what you eat. The horrors of overconsumption catch up to us in this week's double feature. Maybe something very particular to consumerism was happening in the 1980s? Who really knows? First, we talk with Victor Devon about Larry Cohen's 1985 cool whipped creature feature, The Stuff. Then, we add a follow up recommendation of the 1987 Melt Movie Exploitation Classic street trash a lot of us fair enough get clipped but generally sometimes the
1: if the uh is in the middle sometimes it's really hard to cut so almost
0: whatever it's just how we talk and sometimes the uh is doing something sometimes the uh is putting in the work (laughs) she was a good uh well welcome to our world I suppose it's a shared world. We're deep inside it. Um, and today we're joined by the lovely, thrilling, exciting. There's so many, so many different ways we could eponymize you here. Go on. But we're going to go with your name, Victor Devon. Hi. The creator and host of White Elephant Burlesque, which is a burlesque review, live show, now virtual show. And for six seasons running a podcast uh, where you interview other fellow burlesque performers or pr- burlesque industry figures. True, I guess yes. it just, they don't just have to be performers. There's lots yeah. of things. I mean, Nightlife. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Victor also runs the Silver Tusk Awards that Spotlight's Burlesque performers in a lot of creative ways. It's not just your standard categories, which is always really cool to really look at people who are doing Comedy, sexiness, all the different ways that they uh, can engage with that field, and I feel like you provide a lot of digital engagement with burlesque over the kind of you know this global pandemic we've been dealing with. Yeah. So that's really really helpful. Speaking of global, in a good way though, uh, you told me right before that you're going global with Silver Tusk this January, so that any burlesque performer is eligible to be nominated, not just people who've participated in a white elephant show. Correct. Yeah, it
1: seemed the right way to go. Uh, Right now, live shows are on hold. I just finished. I can't just say just anymore. I have finished uh, a five-year residency, which uh, ended right before the pandemic began, Mm -hmm. so just in time. And then even though I have done virtual shows and I've even done some live gigs as things have reopened, it just seemed right to say, hey, you know what? Let's, Let's make it more inclusive. Let's make it more inviting. And I was just recently at the Burlesque Hall of Fame, which they call it the Oscars Mm -hmm. of burlesque. If I can at least be the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards of burlesque, I call that a win. That
0: is a win. Some some ways, I would say that's better, right? No one gave the blockbuster. There are people who (laughs) would suggest (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like the Oscars deserves.
1: Yeah, well, they also are certainly much more acceptable of horror and the subcultures. Oh, yes.
0: We need them. We need subculture, ch- right? Horror and burlesque together. Bring it's it It's more on. common than you think. Yeah. And I don't want to forget, currently reigning Mr. Hollywood burlesque. Yeah.
1: And mm-hmm. until someone snags it up, well, they're never taking my crown. My crown is over yeah. there and I get to keep that. But no one has been crowned after me because of COVID. So,
0: so perhaps you're, you're the last. <laughs> no. You
1: grow no, more no, powerful no.
0: with each year. <laughs>
1: I'll take I'll take longest reigning, but yeah, uh, no, right. I would love to. I would love to uh, pass the crown down. Have your own
0: Helen Shivers
1: moment <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah, I won it in nineteen, and then the world shut down, and it was supposed to have by twenty twenty two. There was going to be another festival, but it was postponed. We're looking at maybe twenty twenty three, but I'm not in charge. So, I will be delighted to be asked to do my step down number and to crown another king if and when that happens, but for now, listen it's i i wasn't able to like tour on that title, so I will mm-hmm. hold on to it as long as I can
0: yeah, they gotta give you a grace period a grace a grace touring grace touring uh great <laughs> welcome welcome to the stage grace name touring some kind. yeah grace touring but That's really nice to come back. I love having burlesque folks on the podcast. There is this weird overlap of of burlesque people and horror. like Burlesque people like horror. I don't know why, but I love it. I'm glad. I think it's
1: possibly because people who have always felt either on the outside or not fully, fully welcomed in on the mainstream enjoy a lot of subcultural things Mm -hmm. and horror... A lot of the time, either the heroine, like the final girl, is that non-popular cheerleader type, or mm-hmm. it's also like retribution. We get to watch the popular kids all get killed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <gasps> this is what we've been waiting for a lot. I, mean, I mean, it's wish fulfillment. <laughs> the Secretly. A- and also, the for me, it's a lot about my interest in the body and gender roles, gender play, that different thing, so right, as a queer viewer of horror as a queer person who was in burlesque previously like i don't know it is there is an overlap that is always strangely compelling to me and i don't know i don't know which came first the burlesque or the horror love like i i have very specific pivotal moments where like both things uh, entered my life but which one came first the chicken or the egg well it's splashy it's spectacle yeah it's all it's all together do you feel like for you it informed both thing like did you have a love of horror first or did you kind of get drawn to burlesque or burlesque type Mm -hmm. entertainment when you were younger too
1: well i mean i was introduced to horror young in the form of television commercials and they would scare me and i would like i would see the ad for like the abc sunday night movie starring vanessa redgrave and i'd be like Ah, and I would be—I would—that would, that would tra- sort of traumatize me. The first f- horror film that I walked in on was Poltergeist 3, which was the third one and the final before it was then eventually remade in the nineties or in the two thousands. And I walked in unexpectedly. My siblings were all watching it, and they were watching the s- the scene where Zelda Rubenstein, who is mm-hmm. or Stein Tangina in any event, uh, was trying to. Trying to contact Caroline through the mirror, and there's a moment where she is smashed into the back, she smashes her back into the mirror, and there's some desiccation that occurs. She crumbles. And it scared the shit out of me. And I ran screaming out of the room into my bedroom, which was not terribly far from the room they were watching. I and I was like, I can still hear it. I can still hear it. No, I don't want, duh. Nah. And I was brought to my sister's upstairs bedroom where they turned on the radio. And the song that was playing, I still remember, was Feels Good by Tony, Tony, Tony. Mm. So this is firmly lodged in the early 90s. And whenever I hear that song, which is frankly not that often nowadays, I would think of, of that moment. So I was a late comer sure. to horror films. My mom introduced uh, Universal Monsters relatively early on. So I appreciated gothic horror and symbolic horror pretty early. But it took me a minute. The first film that really grabbed me was Scream. Mm-hmm. And technically, Scream 2. And that was the year it came out. So, like, 98, 99. Uh, but I was late to
0: the game because mo- horror movies scared me. <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely uh, the first barrier to overcome as a horror lover. Like, can I not be scared by this? But. But yeah, I feel relatively same era. So I was, I have the same feelings about those movies. Even Poltergeist three. I just remember being a child, eating a subway sandwich, watching a double feature of Poltergeist two and Poltergeist three. It was everything to me. It was
1: decades. It was decades. <laughs> I mean, I've I've been married for only a couple of years now, and my husband and I have known each other for eleven years. It is only within the last nine years because we watched it together that we watched all three poltergeists that mm. i had never seen before although i had seen them referenced like there yeah. were scenes and pieces of them that i had never known necessarily i mean i always knew coming to, the, go, to go towards the light carolan and they're here and things like that but poltergeist is very seminal for the horror genre because it also was one of the first times that clowns were created as being a device of horror because mm-hmm. there was a subversive version of that. If you go back, clowns weren't part of that. Like, if you go back to Twilight Zone, there was no clown episode. If you go back to the the Universal era, those were still symbol- uh, symbolic of innocence. So the only reason that things like It and Poltergeist and the 80s, really, was because they were, you know, bastardizing or messing with the concept of innocence. We look back and now they're terrifying. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean... In one way or another, I mean, I always love a good clown. Good clown, bad clown. Uh, more clown representation as a yeah. I say that as a as a
1: as a somewhat mime clowny mm. type hobo clown situation. Yeah, generally, yeah. I generally feel
0: like speaking. You've got yeah, you've got the clown history, the clown mm. branding.
1: It's it is more European clown than it is mm. American clown, in, at least in terms of styling. I think actually Americans. Possibly through things like horror movies and books and and things like that, were the first ones to be like, oh shit, clones. I don't know if that really kept
0: kept on in like the Pirro or... um, Oh, yeah. ...situation. But... But We are speaking of the 80s, so that's a good starting point in our timeline, right? What did the 80s do to us really is the theme of the movie we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, I just wanted to ask my kind of question for the month. We're in the sweet treats of summer. You know, we have to have our our joyful desserts, our, our sweet things we're keeping in the fridge for later, the freezer. Wherever we're keeping it, we're going to have it. So uh, my question kind of was about why is this idea of sweetness important to horror or why is sweetness an important flavor to add to the horror genre?
1: Well, I think again it's subverting. Mm-hmm. It's making the innocence suddenly dangerous and it's making what we normally associate with childhood or safety and saying no, not safe. I mean, the 80s were also Prevalent with the concept of your trick or treating candy being poisoned, mm. or you know the razor blades and the apple. Most of that was all just panic that was created out of nothing. Uh, in a similar way that, like the satanic panic,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we always like to be hysterical on something. But the fact that it was related to something as innocent and as everyday as kids going out for Halloween, I don't think is a is a coincidence. I think the part of the power and the longevity of something like that is because it's related to youth and related mm-hmm. to, again, safety and the idea of of just sort of being free and, and, and innocent, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think, oh, I wanted to build on that just because c- of how it ties into the movie today, right? The subversion of it in horror is really important and also the idea of being able to see that get unpacked in horror is great. Like we mentioned with that the razor blades and the Halloween candy or the panic around that, right? It's it's a deflection from the real issue, which we still see today, right? The deflection of the issues that are happening within the home. <laughs> is what's happening Mm -hmm. because that story was created by a man who really did try to kill his child with poison halloween candy
1: but it was an isolated incident but it's an isolated incident
0: (laughs) and it's not some stranger doing this to you right about this idea around horror is like some weird strange thing is going to come out and get me it's like no actually it's people in your life that are the most likely to kill you (laughs) unfortunately well and
1: are explored that really early on with uh, mccarthyism and the fear of the unknown and embracing sort of like the 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 scary person next door
2: mm-hmm. that
1: i mean everyday horror particularly when it comes to uh, 70s and 80s horror i find because a lot of 90s and 2000s horror is based on 80s and 90s. it's sort of like
2: mm.
1: all representational because those people yeah. who watched those movies then grew up and so there's a lot of retro fitting of of those concepts i think the the concept of being afraid of the neighbor being afraid mm-hmm. of the new kid in school being afraid of one's parents those are relatively new to horror in the 70s and 80s and they are everything it's every uh, and then again that also Brought in the concept of the satanic panic because it wasn't like the warlocks coming in out of nowhere. No, it's the D and D that your kids are playing. It's coming inside. I mean, the calls really are coming from inside the house.
0: Good, that's where they belong.
1: <laughs> and that's like that's the and that's terrifying. I mean, the con. I mean, that's one. That's one genre that is still hardest for me to swallow. I can sort of micromanage supernatural horror i can sort of i won't lose a lot of sleep based on that i don't love a lot of gore like i don't mm-hmm. want to see bones uh coming out of out of skin per se and i don't really love torture um although i guess depending on how it's depicted i could i can try to deconstruct it psychologically if i really feel like being you know that esoteric
2: mm-hmm. but
1: home invasion is still one of them be like okay because people are terrifying people are genuinely terrifying and they're always going to be much, much more terrifying than a demon possession, in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think the movie today kind of covers both of those spectrums. It's really great to talk about the stuff in relation to this, and especially where you brought up McCarthyism, the fear of the neighbor. Some of these things that were bubbling up in the 1950s, because this is really referential in some ways to those 50s monster movies. I mean, we have a central monster. There's a reference to kind of the blob. Uh, which also got remade in the eighties, a couple of years yeah. later. So there, there are some of those ideas, but also twisted with a, a social commentary about Reagan's America. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. If you, I mean, as queer people, that is terrifying enough.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's also it's so the stuff came out in eighty five. Uh, Larry Cohen did it, and it was again, it was a late to me film. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know about it for many many years in fact I watched it for the first time only I think two to three years ago and basically it was on streaming I saw the the title I was like okay this looks sort of campy and and then I don't remember exactly what the the plot line description was in the like the capsule review in the Mm -hmm. in the corner there but it sold me and I said okay let's give this a shot and there it was And it, I can say it's a very well-made film. There are a lot of issues you know. <laughs> with it, but I have to say it aged pretty well, all things considered.
0: Yeah, and it really, I mean, gets going right away. There's not a lot of wasted time. We we see the stuff, some guy's eating it, and then it's suddenly on shelves everywhere, right? <laughs>
1: well, it's... <laughs> so it opens, and it, it, it opens very much... It's like a like a b-roll from the thing like mm-hmm. it's 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 a, an arctic area i don't think they specify where it's yeah. found but it's a substance that is coming out of the ground and some worker or security guard sees it outside of whatever they're doing again not important to the story so they mm-hmm. don't discuss it was it a, a army base of some sort i don't know was it some sort of uh, wildlife rest. I don't know, but they find it, and the first thing that they decide to do is put it in their mouth, because why not? And they find that it is this delicious, new found, what they think is is organic, essentially, because it comes from the earth. So, uh, if you want to get in like drug culture and the fear of of drug use, uh, mm-hmm. you can also tie that in because a lot of those quote-unquote come from the earth and sure enough it's free from what we can tell they don't get into the bureaucracy of how it's it's um grabbed and manufactured Mm -hmm. and put into onto the shelves it is the stuff it's not like a lot of other either candy where there are variations or cereal where there's knockoffs or similarities Mm -hmm. like you can get special k or you can get cornflakes are they both brand cereal yes only one company has the stuff. And i they don't really get into, at least in the final cut of the film, why that is.
0: Yeah. Well, with Special K, you might want to specify too, right? The cereal <laughs> <Yes>. or ketamine. <laughs> well, uh, I said
1: bran. I said brand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but if we're going with the, the drug allegory, which is, yeah, absolutely. is par- yeah. partially what is happening here. I mean, there's a bunch of different things. That's part of what is like fascinating but maybe a little bit of messy about the movie is that it's also kind of yeah. trying to tackle it's using its stuff metaphor to tackle a, a few different social issues in, in the 1980s.
1: Well, that's the trouble with satire, particularly when it is satire by committee, mm-hmm. because the original cut of the film, and I've done a little research on it because I'm one of those people. Well, while I watch a movie, I find out all about it.
0: Yeah, no, tell me more. Cause I don't, (laughs) I didn't really look into like what happened. I'm just like clearly watching. it. I'm like, there are some very sharp edits (laughs) throughout. Yeah. It was
1: originally apparently a two hour film Mm -hmm. and it is just under, like it's an hour 26. Yeah. So that's substantial. Like that's a lot of editing. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I mean, I, I guess one of the major reasons they probably did it was, was, the belief that pacing was necessary they needed to get across things and it's possible i mean there are apparently those scenes have been found they're not released on blu-ray they're not available yet if in fact they ever will be but they probably because it is a satire probably focus on more of connecting the dots mm-hmm. and since it's so much about consumerism in a a not dissimilar way that like Romero's Dawn of the Dead uh is or a lot of these other films that came out within the same 15 year span mm-hmm. it's really about the people who are obsessed with eating and making it kind of part of their whole life yeah. like it real like I- if you eat the stuff it will eventually turn you into uh you know a oozy zombie type figure but to what end we're not quite sure, because the right. point isn't necessarily what the stuff or what alien substance it is or where it came from or what it what the goal is. The point is it's that this is affecting this community and it's affecting the world mm-hmm. because companies that didn't care about vetting it properly made it available
0: right, and even the f d a didn't That's- care about. <laughs>
1: Yeah, That's no. Better. I mean, the, again, because part of the issue is, is it's sort of like a mind control thing. It's like a body snatcher mm-hmm. situation. So anyone who would have tested it in theory would have passed it through because they would have been like, but this is great. So right. it's, it is still, it's still passed as a dessert item in the film. Mm-hmm. The whole, it, it is still important to recognize that it is not a meal in and of itself and it's not like a vegetable or fruit or something that's inherently healthy. Mm-hmm. It is something that is still treated in the same sense as ice cream or I mean yogurt to an extent, but it really reminds me and the viscosity changes throughout the film well, because they don't know what they're doing.
0: It's got it's got to change. But it looks like
1: marshmallow fluff. It looks yeah. like marshmallow fluff. Really. Yeah. I love that
0: marshmallow fluff.
1: And don't get <laughs> me wrong, there's nothing wrong with marshmallow.
0: No, well, depending on how you feel about gelatin, uh, as a as a vegetarian, that's true. That's true. If you are vegan, the marshmallow fluff, though, is is vegan. Is it really? Or there's vegan versions of it? Yeah, I don't okay. know. I don't know which ones, but there are like just like the the fluff in the can kind that can be veganized because okay. you don't need gelatin to make it uh, fit in a can. All right. Excellent.
1: I'm glad that's available for folks that's who want it. I haven't had yeah.
0: I haven't had fluff in
1: like 25 <laughs> years, but
0: <laughs> but you got. I wasn't it on allowed. That. We weren't allowed it. That butter. We weren't butter, allowed it. Peanut up. butter and marshmallow fluff on a sandwich. This is so separate, but I think it's it does, it ties in. We have like memories of this, right? It ties into that, and I think there is something about the lifestyle of consumerism or the lifestyle uh, branding that capitalism can put upon us that's so central to this movie, right? So it can be about diet culture. Or it can be about healthy families, right? There's a lot about the nuclear family that with Jason, who's kind of the first main protagonist type character we meet, Mm -hmm. he's a young boy and his family has all gotten indoctrinated into the stuff and he is uh, against it. (laughs) He's very paranoid about the stuff. So it is interesting to see those threads come together of both you have to live a certain lifestyle, and a lot of that lifestyle should be around status symbols, right? In this case, the status symbol is all filled in with stuff.
1: But. If you live under this house, under this roof, you will do that. Like, they actually send him to bed with mm-hmm. the stuff, demanding he not leave his bedroom until he finishes it. Like, it right. is... I mean, he has a shitty family in general, it <laughs> seems to be. 80s movies love to do that. I mean... Every movie seems. I mean, we we have that open available to us as as writers, I guess, all the time. But right. his family right. is not inherently; they don't change, which I yeah. think is really interesting. And again, maybe this is this is part of the edit. But as the film stands, the stuff, yeah, it makes them more aggressive. But we don't see the friendly, Pleasantville, happy, like uh, Opie and Anthony situation turn them evil, like with Body Snatchers or a Mm. lot of other, like, uh, possession
0: films, they were already shitty to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) They just got shitty and scary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, where they're literally chasing him down the road as he tries to escape. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. But we kind of get this, and then early on in the movie, I like the aesthetic quality, though, where it kind of cuts to the commercials that they're making. We have this... Uh, older woman sensuously professing her love of the stuff in front of this big neon glowing the stuff sign that's so that's so beautiful it's so 80s I don't know it's so of the time very yes nostalgic for a time that I didn't even or barely exist
1: well that's (laughs) the thing it's not while none of the content of the film or the motivation behind the film is new per se mm-hmm. it is firmly 1985 like yeah. the styling doesn't deviate the the phrasing doesn't deviate all of the language and so they're not trying to make it seem like a cautionary tale for the future mm-hmm. or the distant past that we don't know about that they're recalling they're saying this is happening right now so all of their references are that moment. And that's mm-hmm. why it it really does seem both really prescient in what it was, what it was putting out there. And yet very um, of its time. Yeah. Very dated, very dated in that. Yeah.
0: Way. Dated, but in the way I think where we have to recall history, right. I'm sure there's people who are like, we just need to get over the eighties and, you know, <laughs> the crises that we were under as yeah. a, as a country at the time. It's like, well. No. We actually have to look back at history to learn from it. That's a, that's a famous thing. Yeah. So I think sometimes having a movie that feels very dated like this helps helps to recall that, or it helps with that.
1: Well, it's, it certainly has helped with films that have really, I mean, the stuff, The pro, I guess one of the issues with the stuff is it doesn't really have the same kind of iconography as something like They Live mm-hmm. has, which is also about consumerism, also about capitalism, also about fear of the neighbor and fear of you know people being taken over it doesn't have like the monster isn't that visible moment where you see the alien face when you put on the glasses it doesn't have that and so in that way it really is much more similar to something like invasion of the body snatchers where you don't literally see the monster and then similar to the blob where you see the monster but it Mm
2: -hmm.
1: isn't it's sort of um it's so other it's so otherworldly that it there's no humanity to even assign to it to deconstruct it and say this is what people this is this, this is the fear of the people no it's doctrine really you're afraid of the concept of it that is then people are assimilating and this is pretty deep for a 1985 b movie yeah. but that's what i live for
0: we're all that's involved in it yeah i live for it too we're involved in it we're immersed in it just like we're going to get immersed In the stuff, I think I wanted to draw just like a little bit of a, I don't know, social critique. This is a thing that I've looked at before, too. I like that it's not about this neighbor. It's not about like turning against people. It is actually about this amorphous thing that can't really be even personified. It's tying into this idea of capitalist sorcery, which is about capitalism as a system of sorcery without sorcerers. Right. There's no drivers behind the wheel. And very much in the same way, the belief that the stuff could do something for us, the belief that the stuff is good made it so that it happened the the stuff doesn't necessarily have to be conscious or sentient in any way, but it gets whatever it wants done, regardless.
1: the stuff doesn't have motivation exactly whatever the stuff is doing is just what the stuff is meant to do, taking on the or or infiltrating the human. Body and replacing organs. There's a part where a person is literally torn apart and goo comes out. um It's actually a lot. I think. I think what's also really fascinating is, as gory as that may end up sounding, because it's so because it's white, and it it yeah. looks so
0: clean, like it doesn't get dirty. Like it's, it's well, it doesn't. It doesn't spot. It doesn't stain. That's an important yeah. part of it. It's val- that's true. <laughs> for housewives everywhere. <laughs>
1: But when you look at something like The Blob, which is red because Mm -hmm. communism, I mean, let's be let's let's let that heavy hand fall. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't have that. And what it would again, that could then be this is actually a movie that I think is perfect for remake with some more social cues, because it really could be deconstructed about um, assimilation in a white culture. Mm -hmm. And it's no coincidence, or perhaps it is, but I don't think it is, that the only real recognizable character, the only character with any real particular personality in the film is a black man who is called Chocolate Chip Charlie, (laughs) named after the product that is in direct violation of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And he gets one of the most memorable scenes where, spoiler alert, he is, he is infiltrated by the stuff. He is attacked by the stuff off screen. And then we see this whiteness come out of him. And he is the only real black character of the film. There's so much there that I think, again, that's probably another reason that horror movies get podcasts, get dissertations, get this discussion going, because it's all metaphor. Right. Even if it's literal, even if it's the guy slicing up girls with a with a machete at camp, there's still metaphor, there's still trauma to deconstruct there. And again, I think until I was able to really put that in perspective, horror didn't do anything for me mm. until I was able to look at it in that way.
0: And I think even the unintentional is really important right there is a lot of unconsciousness Mm -hmm. in there
1: oh yeah that comes through that death of the author all the way
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's why i can jump into something like capitalist sorcery and be like oh yeah this is doing that but this book didn't even exist that right like i'm sure the idea of capitalist sorcery in some way existed then but i don't think that's what larry cohen was necessarily going for but they're related issues of our times right like we still Mm -hmm. have this problem right we we still have a problem of brand's uh, smothering. Uh, look at Meta, for example. Right? Like, what is Facebook oh, doing yeah. to us? Is Facebook the new stuff? That's what I want to know. Mm. It makes it an easier watch to watch a sweet ice cream-like substance eat people than trying to figure out how technology is going to take you over. Right? Like, that's a more interesting movie. So,
1: well, it's it's again more of the corruption of the innocence. Mm-hmm. It's taking something that is in every household in America with the white picket fence. Everyone can identify with ice cream or the snack food it comes across every culture i think every type of household any ethnic uh, disparity as well as economic disparity Mm -hmm. Uh, you're always going to have access to the concept of that sweet treat that suddenly can be made dangerous so yeah. anyone, because again, even though the film is very lo- very firmly lodged in middle class America or what middle class America was in 1985, which is a little better off than mm-hmm. most what we might consider middle class to be now as it shrinks, because that that family has money, that's a gigantic oh, house. Sure. They seem to be doing very well for themselves, and it's just understood that that's 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 America for them. But in a similar way as they live or something like that, it has no relationship to a singular experience it's available mm-hmm. to everyone
0: right and that other experiences might be limited or have it, well this is actually interesting i might think about this movie <laughs> there's a similar movie called street trash that one's about killer alcohol uh mm. infiltrating a homeless a homeless camp very interesting stuff uh, also 80s they were they were really into this iconography people being melted by by some goo but i think we also I have think
1: this, a... they had the technology and they were like let's just lean in
0: let's just lean in yeah <laughs> but i think another interesting factor here like you said it's focusing on kind of middle class upper middle class right this kind of segment of the population just again uh, uh, i think it's more to demonstrate right like well, who's going to have the most access to this initially? But we also have this really strange protagonist. I mean, strange in so many ways. Moe Rutherford, mm-hmm. played by Michael Moriarty, is just a strange guy. He's a weird, yeah. southern, dopey guy. I love it. I think he's he's strange in the exact way that's that's compelling to me. And he, yeah, plays this dumb figure, I guess. He says no one is as dumb as I appear to be when he's first meeting, like, the ice cream guys who want to hire him. But he's a mercenary, right? He's not, like, a good guy. He's not out there to get the truth just to get the truth. Like, if they pay him, he'll do it. So Mo is a disgraced or former FBI agent who now is working for this ice cream company to find out what's in the stuff. He's just doing that. But then later on, the CEO or the owner, I guess, of the stuff brand also pays Mm -hmm. him off to not say anything. And he takes the money without a second question. And I think that's just so compelling. And I wish, like you, you said, I wish there was more I could see because I think there is something that changes later on. Like later on in the movie, he becomes more of a like standard holding truth to power kind of guy, and I'm like, what? When did that happen? Right. He's an awkward. He's an awkward protagonist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's very awkward. I'm all for anti heroes who who say I don't want to be a part of that. Like um, and they live. He's a he's a reluctant protagonist mm-hmm. as well, and that's relatable and I think very nuanced. Particularly for a lot of like a lot of slasher flicks, you don't have an opportunity unless you really get into the lore to find out motivations or to find out why a lot of people don't survive long enough for the audience to really get attached to and his edit as such where suddenly he i mean even his relationship with the character nicole it it's very shoehorned in this this romantic relationship aspect Mm -hmm. but not shoehorned in a way That seems like, oh, they needed to have a love interest because they're not even that romantic. There's no no love scene, particularly. I don't even think they come off as very snugly, as it were, but they're very clearly suddenly in a relationship. (laughs) And I think that that's purely because things got cut. Mm -hmm. And it's this kind of studio meddling that sometimes can really mess with, particularly a satirical piece, because Mm -hmm. it really kind of needs all those. Joints to make the point, right? But because he's yeah, he's 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 he is a reluctant protagonist in that sense because suddenly it's like the wild west. He's like I don't want to deal with either of you. Everyone is is wrong in this regard, and I guess I have to save humanity. Yeah, damn it! Like it, it is that kind of thing. But it's not an epiphany. There's no epiphany,
0: right? Exactly. Where
1: suddenly he says. Oh, that's what they're doing. No, he doesn't. No. And
0: it'd be great if it was just a moment of him realizing, even if it's selfishly realizing, like, well, if everyone goes and gets dismantled by the stuff, I'm not going to have anyone to pay me anymore, right? Like, even if that was his selfish motivation. I, well, that's the I, thing. I need. I just need to know.
1: Mercenaries need capitalism <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> And I'm glad you mentioned Nicole because I feel like I like Nicole. I just wish she was a character, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Andrea Marchiovici, I believe her saying her name correctly, who mm-hmm. I knew from "I'm a Big Murder." She wrote. Watcher. Oh. Yes. And she appears of in "Murder She Wrote" uh, in a memorable part where she plays a. a a housewife with a double life. Mm. And anyone who was anyone in the 80s, I really feel the casting directors of Murder, She Wrote went for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when I saw her in it, because like, the only real famous people in the film, and we haven't talked about the military aspect of the film, oh, uh, Paul Servino. Yeah. yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. And uh, Danny Aiello. And I I don't think there's anybody who, like even the lead is sort of B actor. and his love interest slash the female protagonist of the film. What is her job again? She is the marketing director.
0: She's a marketing director. She sells the stuff to America.
1: She has to somehow find a way to include more about the production because interest is increasing mm-hmm. and she wants to, and how she gets involved is that she's able to give him access to the stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have, disgruntled disenchanted businessman who utilizes we'll say it friendly the woman <laughs> who gives him access and then the moral compass i guess is for lack of a, an alternative jason the kid because yeah. he's the only one where we really see his life get destroyed although what a life <laughs> by the goo he, he, we literally see his, his family get worse. And even his brother, who's kind of a dick, is not that much of a dick. He actually yeah. defends him early on. And there's this weird, like, I mean, I know it's the 80s, so there's always going to be some sort of toxic masculinity associated, particularly <laughs> with father characters. Sure. But he's almost like sissified for not liking the stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes him weak and effeminate by not consuming this white frothy substance
0: that everybody else is well we can talk about the white frothy substance. it's
2: very
1: strange
0: i mean yes i would i <laughs> had that scene where mo and nicole are almost stuff assassinated in their hotel room and then this like handsome mustached lumberjack looking fellow just runs it into their room I, I i know like it's little red riding hood i know gets covered Covered in white goo in a motel room. I'm like, what movie? Did I flip over to some I know. porno in the middle of this? I don't know what's happening right uh, now.
1: Horror, mo- horror movie trivia, that is the same room that was used in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, uh, for the uh, Johnny Depp blood coming out of the... Blood spatter? Yeah, coming out of, uh, what was it, a water? It, was, it wasn't really a bed, It was just a regular bed. It's a normal bed. Um, he just got pulled into yeah. it.
0: Freddie did kill someone in a waterbed later. Yes. That was later. That was later. He just loves pulling people into bed, and so does the stuff. <laughs> so they've got that in common. Yeah, it's...
1: And again, it's almost a road movie in that way because they have to go to various places to get to the people who make the Mm -hmm. stuff. And then they have to escape from those people and they meet the military figures who are kind of involved with fixing
0: things. Right. And then they have to fly back to the radio station that Paul (laughs) Servino owns so that they can put their message (laughs) out into the world. and It becomes a lot
1: but the, he doesn't own it he 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 doesn't own it he demands that they give him radio access because oh, yeah, he's yeah. a colonel right <laughs> he 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 has mil and might one of the best part well not one of the best parts but a memorable part we'll say that is that when things hit sideways suddenly there's a like the stuff starts attacking them and they mm-hmm. haven't gone on the air to warn america yet and essentially probably the rest of the world uh but let's be fair they only care about america right when they when things they're like um well should we still air our warning and the colonel's like we'd better i don't know when we'll get this airspace again like we <sighs> we have the hour we might as well use it i was like you're a military force you could probably use the national broadcast system to, okay fine but we have to use it
0: okay yeah we still have to go yeah. through the tools of, of capitalism we still have to pay <laughs> the our, proper our yeah the bureaucracy and the everything it's that part's very funny. I think maybe this is just a me thing. Like, I don't know. The military stuff just pulls me out of it, but maybe I just have a, a weird judgment. I feel like this any time, I guess that something turns into like really military. No, it comes out of nowhere. It does come out of nowhere. It comes out, comes
1: out of nowhere. And it's really only in the last 25 minutes.
0: Yeah. I'm like, is it actually bad? Or am I just like being judgmental? I,
1: Again, maybe the transition was a little smoother with what mm-hmm. was excised. Maybe I don't know. I have a feeling that if you're only a list actor, and Paulo Servino is is up there, oh yeah, uh, at least in terms of legacy, in terms of legacy, and at the time, uh, and this he was, was a big actor, yeah, absolutely, him cashing in uh, a quick paycheck because this is by no means a passion piece. <laughs> Th- yeah, no, he is slumming it, so to speak. I have a feeling if you had footage of his character, you wouldn't have cut it. So I think they probably used as much of him as they could have.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm just surprised. Or or yeah, they just used everything that they did have of people like him. Maybe even Garrett Morris, Chocolate Chip Charlie, because he was one of the original SNL cast members. So he he was like... Yeah,
1: it sort of disappears. Well, more horror movie trivia. Arsenio Hall was considered for that role. Oh,
0: I could see that too.
1: But they didn't think he had enough facial recognition because it yeah. was like pre-Coming to America, yeah. pre his uh, success. So He's they got hired the facial recognition Garrett now. Morris. Now, yes. Well, that would be the thing. <laughs> yeah. If they were to redo this, he would actually possibly be a reasonable <laughs> get.
0: Well, now. Um, but um, but <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the thing where I'm like, wait, why is Garrett Morris only in for this for like five minutes? And it's like, oh, Maybe because it was such a low-budget movie, they could only get certain people for a couple days, really. And that's fine. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't know exactly how long it took to film. I, I don't think it took very long. Uh, probably pre-production probably was more considered um, making sure that they could utilize the stuff. Because we see mm-hmm. a lot of it. Like, unlike the blob, which only grows over time, this is a large substance depending on the circumstances,
0: early and a lot. And it's doing a lot of stuff to people. Yes. Yes. Uh, Literally. Literally. Yeah, well, uh,
1: (laughs) I think one of the reasons that they throw in the military is is this is still at a time when the military was the all American hero savior Mm -hmm. figure. So I think that they, like, it was still, it was like the time of the A-Team and sort of that MASH retro recognition as well. And they hadn't quite been deconstructed in film as potentially negative figures. Yeah, Although certainly Re- Revenge of the Living Dead, Return to the Living Dead, I forget what it is, but the one that, one of them where it's very clearly a military strike to say, oh no, we're going to level the town. No, we're, oh. I yeah, think that that's, was one of the first movies.
0: Actually interesting that was also all of this comes out in 85, right? Return of the Living Dead is where the, the military strike happens. That's an 85 movie. As well as Is that 85 too? As well as Day of the Dead, which is very uh George Romero's kind of take <laughs> on the militarization uh, 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 culture. So there was something in the air. The stuff just didn't quite didn't quite get it. Maybe it, it was oversaturation. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was just uh, this movie was shot a little bit earlier than those ones or or whatever, whatever reason for it. But yeah, it's very, it's very, I mean, not that Colonel Spears is a good guy. I don't think he's presented to be like this really heroic figure because he's got a lot of problems with communists.
1: But again, that wasn't weird in 1985. Yeah. That was perfectly acceptable. That would still be a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. He still would be on the side of good in that because again the movie isn't satirizing that right that's not a concern that's still normal that's still everyday American values, which is what what makes some of these films sort of really interesting is that when satire is so non intersectional when it's so focused on one thing as it's going to happen because everyone has their own agenda mm-hmm. you see very frequently like the hero oh but there's a whole scene where he's like racist to that Muslim character. Right. Oh, but he's still the hero. Okay, because it's 1984. Oh, but this guy, he he does this and he's so awful to that woman over there. Or there's a lot of issues with sex workers a lot of times. They don't care because that's not their agenda. Yeah. This is about capitalism. This has nothing to do with... <laughs> the solution for capitalism, I think, in their mind, is still not communism or socialism. Right. I don't think that that's their solution. I don't even know if this movie pushes forth a solution, just so much as it says, hey, this is what you guys have turned into. Oh, well,
0: like, I don't know. It's more like, yeah, this is how things have happened. Well, because even when it gets to the end, I mean, we have this interesting thing of Mo and Jason force feeding the stuff CEO and the ice cream CEO, (laughs) the stuff, because they're (laughs) like working together now, (laughs) yeah, or tricking them into thinking they're eating it. I don't know if they're actually sentencing them to death. Buy stuff, or oh, I think so. Oh, I think so. I think. Yeah, I think again
1: because that's also that's also very American capitalist is retribution.
0: Yeah, eye for an eye type of revenge.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they get on the air. They finally convince America that it's bad, and some for some reason America agrees and understands. I don't know if it would quite honestly be that easy, but they're running out (laughs) of time. Okay, so there are like bonfires, like. Of people th- of burning the stuff or throwing it away or whatever, and of what does uh, the company do? They rebrand it. Mm. <laughs> they find a way to still use it, and that's unacceptable because that's still taking advantage of Americans. Yeah, and so yes, Mo does sentence them. I think, frankly, sentences them to death. He basically does the whole like, here's your product that's poisoning people. You now. That's your ironic punishment. Yeah. Is that now you have to finish eating it? Now again, the gestation period of the stuff uh, it's is unclear. <laughs> it's unclear, like if a taste will f- f- fuck you up, mm. or if or if you need to keep consuming it over time. I it really doesn't go into that much lore, frankly. But by the end of it they are like scooping as much as they can out of it with their fingers and like licking their hands. And I think we're meant to believe that they're probably going to die. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you know what? I mean, maybe they deserve it. (laughs) And
1: yeah, I mean, what's, what's, what's the loss there? Right. Yeah.
0: I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of, I do want to try the forbidden cool whip. I am really curious about what, the stuff tastes like i as much as i'm like okay it changes viscosity it looks different It's like it shouldn't be it's, appealing it's not unappealing.
1: still it, so yeah. curious and i don't actually even know what it was per se i think
0: they said that they used a mix of different things so there's like somewhat yogurt sometimes depending on what they
1: needed it for
0: yeah, okay. I mean, if they were eating it, obviously it was edible stuff. But for some of the shots, they use like fire, um, extinguishing fluid, okay. all sorts of different sure. ad- viscous white fluids.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> at one point, the, the, the way the kid gets away from his family by thinking that he, he tries to fool them into thinking that he's accepted it. Jason, uh, the character Jason, is he <clears> uses <throat> shaving cream and then gets terribly sick because he's eating straight up shaving cream.
0: I'm like, well, yeah, it's going to happen.
1: I have a feeling the actor did not actually ingest shaving cream.
0: Everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. I hope I not. mean, that's what you,
1: yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. And also one of the weird aspects of this stuff, as opposed to something like the blob, is it doesn't consume people whole. It does it from the inside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it will go through your orifices, presumably, and drown and or kill you. But it's not like the blob where it absorbs you. Yeah, your bodies will still. You'll. I, they don't go into like if if it holds on to you too long, will you decay or not? Um, it's not. It's not that kind of of a monster mash. Uh,
0: which would you prefer, being blobbed or being stuffed? Based on based on what they do. <laughs> I <have> bigger part. <laughs> I bigger part in heaven.
1: Um. Uh. I'm not really into experiencing a great deal of pain personally, mm. so I suppose there's a euphoric aspect to the stuff. And I'm a, I am ai enjoy consuming food. I, I enjoy the concept of eating and the process of eating. So uh, I probably, I mean, no one seems really all that in, in distress, mm-hmm. frankly. I mean, yes, it does seem to encourage more aggressive qualities, but it's more sedentary as opposed to bursting or slowly decaying or being shriveled up a lot, like a lot of these sort of alien possession stuff situations. So yeah, I guess I would prefer to be stuffed, Kevin. Oh,
0: yeah. (laughs) Same. The blob, that just seems like a very horrifying fate. I mean, they both are horrifying. Well,
1: I think depending on the version, too. Yeah, depending on the version, it's almost like corrosive. I think in at least Mm -hmm. one version where like, I think somebody probably the eighties one, because they had more license to be gross, like loses a limb or part of themselves because
0: it gets stuck. Oh, they Um, lose everything. Yeah. No, (laughs) everyone loses. Well, it's great that they're pitted against each other, but yeah, we end kind of on that dark note of the stuff has made its way to kind of the black market of America, right? Reinforcing somewhat the drug, Metaphor or allegory happening, mm-hmm. and somewhat just the there's other methods of capitalism, right? Capitalism is also supported by dark money or these other methods or these other things. Oh,
1: different bad people.
0: Reagan's America, right? Yeah, but the frontline bad people, right? So we can deflect towards the crime in the streets, not the white collar uh, criminals killing you every day.
1: Well, the, I mean, then I guess the question does become is the villain. That we always knew. So we have the stuff as a villain. We have capitalistic board members, or not board members, but CEOs, like company owners as the villain. Great, done, easy, easy. But at the very end, as you pointed out, it does enter the black market. So there are Mm. essentially dealers and um, suppliers of the stuff. And since the stuff, while it is consumed, I don't think it's digested per se. So it never really goes away. So all mm-hmm. it really has to do is do what it does, and then get repackaged eventually, which, yeah. frankly, is terrifying.
2: Oh, that sounds uh, even and gross. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we have to consider <laughs> we have to consider all sides here.
0: Recycle stuff. We already, we, I never even thought of it that way. <laughs> I, I didn't even know. No. Now it's worse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just consider the plumbing system alone is going to be a wreck. The whole mm-hmm. the whole sewage system is going to be a mess. If it is, in fact, ever proper, if it is, in fact, ever digested, because we we really only see it being eaten and then coming out again through the mm-hmm. mouth. Is that done out of necessity because any other way would be grosser or harder to handle or for storytelling purposes? I don't know. Um, <laughs> or does it just collect in your stomach? Does it like just bide its time until eventually it comes forth? Why is it even doing that? We don't know. We don't know. We don't even know if it's alien. The biomechanics of the stuff. That's a that's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then so having the smugglers or having the people who are like passing this along, that scene is such a split second. It's such a it's such a weird stinger at the end just to say, woohoo, yeah. it's not over.
0: But like everything else, yeah, it just kind of cuts into it. It's a weird moment and it's done. <laughs> like, oh, okay.
1: I mean I mean that's very I mean, that's very much a throwback also to like sixties propaganda horror as well. Mm-hmm. Like don't tell your children it's not over this is an allegory don't think you don't also have to worry about it because if it ended it cleanly it wouldn't be a threat anymore if they actually burned all the stuff or did all of that and then of course it leaves it open for a sequel which of course never happened uh, or has yet to let's keep our fingers
0: crossed right there there could always be a <laughs> yeah. sequel it doesn't matter how a long. reboot
1: a Netflix six-part original. It all is possible. Uh, Wh- whoever, owns, whoever owns the property. It, it, yeah, it, it really could have even been more ambitious with its drug, Nancy Reagan era fear-mongering. Yeah. But it really is more like a, it's not over. And then, it, yeah, it does become, because it was suddenly outlawed, it does sort of put forth that regulation is the solution not outright banishment, yeah, because if you ban it, it will simply be on on the black market, or the bad people will get it,
0: and still you know, I don't know, stuff junkies, as it were stuff junkies that's <laughs> a good band name too <laughs> um but again, I mean, who are the people
1: that are probably most likely going to do that is probably the lower classes. Because mm-hmm. those are usually people who are most susceptible to that kind of manipulation and
0: um yeah. work. And that would be a good I think that would be a good focus if there had been a sequel, if there is few uh, to see a sequel, like how is it affecting the people? This down could the change line the world. People might hear the... this and say, Wait trickle down stuff, <laughs> anomics. <laughs> tr- that trickle it down to me. <laughs> I wanna see that rain trickle down stuff and economics don't work (laughs) no they they never have uh this is so great though i i was having a lot of ambivalent feelings towards this movie so i'm glad to talk about it because it's one that i'm like okay actually even with all its messiness it's still such a worthwhile campy it's still a fun movie to watch regardless like you could put it on in the background and be like this is a silly 80s thing great
1: it does take itself very seriously where it needs to. Mm -hmm. And then like for production value. And then it's just utterly bonkers with the decisions that the screenwriter makes or the editor made. Like there's no reason, like there's no explanation for, I think a little of both. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I mean, it it also, I mean, there's some really lazy writing if that is the case, because Jason gets separated from the two other protagonists and then suddenly is, reunited with them in a very odd circumstance. Yeah. That really should never have happened. But it needed to to further the story.
0: Well, because they were like, well, oh yeah, we forgot about this kid for 10, 15 minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's stuck in the vat. He's stuck he, and like again, like the motivation of the stuff, like, if it really wanted to consume you, it would be a little faster with it. Like right. the, the the choices that it's making are very much Inconsistent with that of an alien substance.
0: Well, maybe it's not moving. It's laissez faire, the stuff. It's just chilling. Laissez faire stuffonomics. Yeah, (laughs) it's like it's. If you get close to me, I'll suck you in. If you stay over there, maybe you'll be fine.
1: I mean, (laughs) maybe it understood that Jason was so ambivalent and/or negative to it. It just didn't, you know, grab. It just was unappealing. I don't know. It couldn't be bothered. Yeah. It couldn't be. I couldn't be. Even though it was right there in a... Yeah. The choices. That's what makes it a fable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good. Yes. Fable. This is a lot of what we're getting into, too. I feel like actually the thing that's threading this together, maybe this is a, a good... Wrapping up moment, but you're kind of right in the middle of our, our month. So, a thing that's been threading together these different movies, the sweet treats, is also the fairy tale or the fable nature of them. Yes, this is more allegory, more fable like than I would say a, a, a traditional fairy tale, but we are kind well, of Hudson looking Riot, at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are kind of looking at, you know, Ice Cream Man, which has this kind of fairy tale Pied Piper storyline in it. We have this. American allegory and this Fabulistic quality of Like rogue stuff gone wild And then Coraline's going to be coming up Next and that's a a very Deeply (laughs) entrenched in fairy Tales and and kind of the The figure of the Gretel Hansel and Gretel witch Well yeah well because that's
1: like Neil Gaiman is influenced by what he uh, Absorbed and then Mm -hmm. I have A feeling that whoever was watching the stuff First or movies that were like it it absolutely Has informed sort of the rebranded horror that we see now where it yeah. is much more sociological,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which therefore can be derided as quote unquote being woke or quote unquote being, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, but because it, it's dealing with issues, but it's dealing with issues in a, in a, in a way in an, in an America that doesn't want to talk about those issues yeah. in a very different way than horror. Because now we know at the time, a lot of those things could sort of pass as allegory without necessarily the audience feeling T- not talked down to, but like finger wags at. Now mm-hmm. we all are in on it. Now we're all in on it. So any film that does the same thing that those films were do- doing earlier, but more intersectionally uh, and including uh, things that, again, we that are uncomfortable to talk about, we've always had it. We've always had those types of films Yeah, going far as back as Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Like this is uh, a woman who invented essentially the monster gothic horror creation and being afraid of the neighborhood villagers. It's easier to look at that as nostalgic or not too directly uh, infringing of our relatability Mm -hmm. than say, get out or something like that, which is much more clearly upfront. It does make me wonder if I were to go back in time, how much self-awareness people had who were consuming things like that, Mm. because that was a runaway hit as both a book and as a novel and then a film and then a series. I don't know how self-aware people were, but.
0: Yeah. Huh. It's Well, we'll come mm. back to it. Whenever we get to a Frankenstein episode, I'm, I, I'll happily think about it. And, and my final thought was, I think this would be a great double feature with Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> if you want to talk about brainwashing and, yeah. The problems with Brand Aid, I it just, if I didn't do a podcast that solely focused on horror, this is, I would match them right up. But if you want to make your own double feature playlist, schedule Josie and the Pussycats right after this stuff.
1: That's a good call. That's a very <laughs> good call.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. Perfect. I'm glad I could do it's it. Because it's, it's very much also to do with the marketing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not just about the consuming. It's about the people behind the market
0: of its time. Yeah. TRL plays a strong role in that movie. Like that is a 2001 movie. Like <laughs> that is yeah. very specifically that era. Well, Victor, thank you for talking and making me kind of fall a little bit more in love with this movie. I yeah, and I don't, I don't like to be in the fence, and I want these conversations to either make me love or hate the movie we're talking about. And now I feel like. Good. I could grow to. I could grow to love a beast,
1: right? It's still imperfect. Again, it does. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a it's
0: a ham sandwich of a metaphor, <laughs> but it's, it's,
1: it's, a it's ham. sometimes ham sandwiches don't have to be the best you've ever had.
0: Right. Yes. It's a ham sandwich in the rain um, of a movie, <laughs> smothered with stuff. Yeah, <laughs> smothered with marshmallow fluff stuff. But in the meantime uh in between time before we come back for frankenstein i'm sure what are you doing on the internet where can people find you if they're looking to find out more about you victor devon or about white elephant burlesque all those fun things yes
1: yes yes uh well a uh, starting point would be um, pretty much victor devon that's v-i-k-t-o-r-d-e-v-o-n-n-e on everything Very early adopter to the internet as part of my daily life, and Weberlesque is also W E B U R L E S Q U E. Pretty much available everywhere as well. There also is weberlesque.com that will take you to a history of of what we've done in the past, including um, performers that we've worked with and shows that we've done. Uh, Weberlesque podcast is where you can find uh, your platform of choice. Uh, But Weberlesque is presently in its sixth season. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Audible, which was a really cool get, as well as Google and Apple and all of that as Mm -hmm. well, as we are consumers, uh, you'll have access to it. And one way or another, if you follow any of those things, you will find out what else I've got going on.
0: (laughs) Great. And we'll include those links below so people can easily go right from our show notes, find you, listen to you. This is a great discussion. So why wouldn't you want to hear more fabulous discussions with Victor? In the meantime, keep your hands out of the the stuff jar and keep it creepy. Let's first wrap up a hanging thread from our discussion. The Stuff was released in June 1985, with Day of the Dead following a month behind in July, and Return of the Living Dead following the month after that in August. So, perhaps 1985 was just a quick growth of a new consciousness about American dissatisfaction with growing militarization, and diminishing returns on the trickle-down economics of the decade, as shown through horror movies. To follow up on that thread, the exploitation movie Street Trash was released two years later in 1987, and even though it leans heavily into absurdity and ridiculousness, it still attempts to dedicate its viewpoint to the plight of people without housing. Directed by a 21-year-old Jim Muro while a student at the School of Visual Arts in New York, Street Trash has a very art-school punk aesthetic in its bookending melting sequences, which is what the movie is most memorable for. A local shop owner finds a box of 60-year-old liquor named Viper and begins to sell it to his mostly vagrant clientele without realizing that it contains something that instantly melts people's bodies into multicolored, fluorescent puddles of goo. At the same time, Vietnam War veteran Bronson has been growing more psychotic, his violence expanding beyond the people who live along with him in the scrapyard and into the streets of the neighborhood. Fred and his kid brother Kevin are trying to stay out of the fray, but as the violence mounts and more gooey bodies turn up, they both have to decide if they are going to stay complacent in their dismantled tire and car body home, or if they are going to step up and fight back. This is an exploitation film, so content warnings are definitely needed. The movie contains sexual assault, abuse, misogynistic violence, racist and homophobic language, necrophilia, and a great deal of gloopy body horror if that in particular squicks you out. Even though I think this will be a tough watch for many listeners, I think a lot of the film narrows in with a satirical eye on the numbing cycle of violence and desperation that comes along with the poverty caused by American systems and the insidious lie of the American dream. This critique even comes across in moments of absolutely crass absurdity, like a game of penis keep-away from a man who gets casually castrated by Bronson. The creative, colorful gore is just so interesting to look at, and J. Michael Muro's Impressive handheld camera work throughout the film soon led him to be James Cameron's dedicated study cam operator for The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, and Titanic, and a popular cinematographer for the last three decades. So, if you want to tap into some of your own rage against systems of exploitation, which we have plenty of reason to right now, this is a particularly recommended double feature that has a sweet taste with a real bite on the way down. Until next time, keep it sweet. And keep it creepy.
2: Click. Did you hang up? No, I just said click.